My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of this programme will know, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership and today that mission takes us to Shropshire where we'll be hearing from Daniel Leach, the Group CEO of Technical Design Services Group. Technical Design Services Group is a business group formed by the trio of firms TDS Design for Structures and CADCO and these together seek to modernise the construction sector through collaboration, innovation and education. Um, Dan, a very warm welcome to yourself this morning and by all means thank you for joining us on the programme. No problem, thanks for having me Scott. It's a real pleasure, Dan, and thank you, of course, for your time on this. Um, Now, I've just given sort of a sort of brief overview as to what it is that your business, Technical Design Services Group, does. But obviously, those three facets of the business, TDS, Design for Structures and CADCO, all kind of seek to modernise construction in different ways, don't they? So in your own words, what is it that each arm of your business does just to kind of set the scene? Yeah, no problem at all. So the first of the um, three businesses, which is um, what I still call the core business, uh, is TDS. Um, We were established in 1992 and we work primarily for manufacturing and fabrication clients within the the structural steelwork and architectural metalwork sectors. So uh, we would produce uh, modelling and technical drawing for things like airports, stadiums, shopping centres, residential buildings, and so on and so forth. Um, And we work very much on live construction projects throughout the UK, very diverse and and, and very mixed in terms of our experience and capability. Um, We set up our training academy, CADCO, or the Construction and Design Centre of Excellence, in 2011. Um, with a view to effectively providing a platform for us not only to attract and retain talent for our own business, but also critically um, to put a qualification together specifically for what we do because we we found with um, the FE and HE sectors, most of the qualifications on offer were were very generic um, and didn't really fit the needs of our business. Um, so we set about um, creating a, a training academy to effectively attract and retain talent for our own business. And that's now snowballed into providing that same training for employers within the construction industry across the UK. And to date, we've um, trained and, and upskilled over 500 young people over the last 10 years and introduced them into to careers within the construction sector. And finally, the third business, Design for Structures, um, we set up design for structure six years ago, primarily because of um, the, the lack of adoption of, of BIM and digital engineering within construction. Um, typically speaking, structural engineers only really get involved with projects up to REBA stage three. And um, what we've done now is create a structural engineering um, business that can take projects from stage zero all the way through to stage five. So taking projects um, from civil engineering and, and infrastructure design through to foundation design, substructure, superstructure, but also through the construction engineering deliverables. And, and so we can actually pr- provide manufacturing levels of detail to, uh, to, to clients so they can actually procure the material, manufacture the projects, and, and obviously go and construct and build those projects. So. So we're very much in the day-to-day. We are in knee-deep in the industry delivering projects, and that's, that's what we believe gives us a very unique 
um, selling point with regards to the training and education that we provide because ultimately we're, we're in the industry that, uh, that we, we, we serve for our, our training and educational platform. Yeah, exactly right. And it's a well-documented truth, isn't it, that the construction industry is one that has been afflicted by a long-standing skill shortage, a shortage of sort of talent coming through to kind of plug the holes in what is an ageing workforce sort of heading into uh, to retirement. And obviously you mentioned as well when sort of building up the CADCO side of the uh, the business, that training academy, that maybe a lot of qualifications on offer were sort of quite generic at the time. Do you think that sort of the standard of education provided has maybe been kind of part of that sort of skills gap problem? Has that sort of been an exacerbating factor, do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of sympathy now for education um, providers. I mean, I, I've been not not scathing of, of them, but, but certainly frustrated with, let's say, the lack of, of innovation and, and moving things forward. I mean, um I think it's incredible. What I think I find is difficult for schools and colleges and universities is that if you take our sector, for example, in digital engineering and construction, the industry is evolving at such a fast pace with regards to technology and regulations and, Mm. you know, all those different things that that develop every year. And it's, it's very difficult for us to keep up with those changes. And we're in the industry every day. So I think it's impossible for schools and colleges and universities to, to be in tune with, with what the industry actually wants and needs. And that's where I think, you know, if you look at what we've done with CADCO, we're the we're the, the, the industry experts, let's say, and we've partnered with Dudley College of Technology, um, who are our educational partner, um, to come up with, with something that, you know, they use our knowledge and experience of the sector that we're in to develop the curriculums and the learning materials. But they have all of that experience in terms of, you know, passing on that underpinning knowledge and stuff. And I think that that's what's really critical. I think if we're going to make changes to the education sector moving forward, it's absolutely pivotal that um, industry, whether that be construct, whatever industry you're in, cross-disciplines, those industries come forward to work with schools and colleges and universities to develop the curriculums that, that those specific industries need. That's exactly right, isn't it? And if you do have um, an instance where that doesn't happen, I suppose what you're getting is a kind of young generation coming through, which doesn't necessarily possess the practical skills needed to then actually go out and succeed in the world of work. And that has been a problem that we've seen. Yeah, I think in our sector, one of our frustrations, if you look at the traditional way that apprenticeships are delivered, um, the funding associated to apprenticeships is for the assessment of those skills rather than the actual delivery or upskilling of people. So it's it's left very much in the hands of the employer to do the vocational training. That was something that didn't really work great for us as a business because when we brought young people into our business, we had to spend so much time um, developing their skill sets and and teaching them how to do the job. It actually made it very difficult, very impractical to recruit at a large scale. Um, what we've done that's that's very unique with regards to CADCO is that um, at the front end of the apprenticeship, the students come to us for an initial 10-week period where they spend intensive um, time with people that do the job every day, learning all of those key skills. And the idea is that at the end of the 10-week program, when they get reintroduced to the employers, they can actually go into those businesses and have an impact on day one and work mm-hmm. on live project work and work in design teams 
don't get me wrong, they're by no stretch the finished article, but it but it just gives them an absolute foot up with regards to uh, being able to, to get in and, and, and have a positive impact from day one. Yeah, exactly. That's really good, obviously, from the young people's perspective, certainly. Um, you talked as well there, uh, Dan, about sort of upskilling people as well. And I think it's important, isn't it, to kind of look at the adult workforce that's out there as well. Perhaps um, individuals that are trained in other industries and maybe are looking for a career change and want to move into the construction industry. I think maybe the government is sort of missing a trick, aren't they, if they don't make that sort of training and upskilling more accessible to that demographic because that is a whole load of people there um, that could, you know, come in and help plug that gap, but maybe don't find accessing training quite as easy as a young person might do. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I mean, you know, one of the critical things if you look at construction, experience is, is everything. And I think what we're experiencing and what we're finding as a business is that young people can come in and learn the software side of things and the technology side of things very, very quickly. They're like sponges. They're used to using technology in their day-to-day lives. The problem that you've got is they don't have any experience of, for example, engineering a building. So you might be able to model something in a piece of software that looks correct on the screen, but the reality is on site, you can't actually get your arm in or get a drill bit in to actually tighten a screw or a nut or a bolt. Um, so, you know, experience is very, very important. And I think one of the, 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 the genuine concerns that we've had as a business is that there may be people within our organization that have got 15, 20, 25 years experience of our sector that might be absolutely scared to death of some of the new technology that's evolving into the, the industry. So I think having a platform and having a process to enable those people to, to, to be upskilled and developed is really really important and you know it's what's blown me away over the last couple of years really is is the use of video calls and conferencing now Mm. you know skype and teams and all those things that that literally happened overnight purely because of the covid pandemic and yet we've had video conferencing accessibility and, and things like skype and facetime for 10 years um but it's never really been utilized and used yet now everybody sees it as the norm. And because people had to do it, they did do it. And I think that's another big thing that we've, we've got to learn, really, is that if we're going to embrace all of these these changes with regards to technology and innovation and all those, those good things, we've got to force people to do it, because if we don't, they won't. Exactly right. And when we think about the uh, the COVID-19 pandemic as well and how it sort of enforced all of those changes overnight, um, would you say that that sort of commands change in the way that kind of training is delivered? Because now people are naturally looking for sort of more flexibility. Massively. Um, I mean, obviously for us, the, the initial concern, because we have a program that was based on 10 weeks of intensive learning at the front end of our program, um, that was classroom-based learning. So, you know, straight away, the first question mark we got was, you know, is this going to literally take our business down because we're not going to be able to train and and, and deliver what, what we, we need to deliver in order to generate revenue for us as a business? So what we, we quickly learned was that all of those um, platforms, things like Slack and, and Teams and Zoom, you know, we were able to, to rally around and put together a remote and distance learning program that enabled us to continue to recruit young people and enabled us to, to continue to deliver those skills. And that's provided a number of opportunities. Now, it's a very different way of teaching and training than, than standing in a classroom. But nonetheless, 
um, it's been very effective and it's enabled us to continue to develop our staff. Um, you know, within the core business, we're primarily now in the office two days a week and remote for three. So, you know, training and upskilling and developing young people is a far greater challenge now, not seeing them every day and with them being remote. So we've had to really address all of that. You know, how do you make sure that people have the support um, and development time that they need from their peers if you're not seeing them every day in the office? Exactly right. And when you're in that scenario as well, where, you know, you're not having that contact with your staff and it becomes a little bit more difficult to sort of spot certain social cues, does it become sort of harder to kind of maintain their morale and kind of understand when they're sort of feeling a little bit offside, let's say? Very, very difficult. And we, we had an instance actually last August where um, one of our young uh, team, younger team members, he's been with us for about seven years, um, really committed guy, um, performs incredibly well, very, very committed to the business. And I took a call from him late August and um he was contemplating handing his notice in and, and, and leaving the business, and it, it took me absolutely aback, really. Um, he'd not long been on holiday, and um, when I got on the on, on the call to him, um, it transpired that he'd done seven 14-hour days in a row, um, and nobody knew. And the reason for that was because he was working remotely at the time. We were on full lockdown, so the office was closed. Um, he was under pressure to deliver work on, on, a, on a project. Mm. And our client was putting him under incredible pressure to turn around um, drawings for their manufacturing slots. And because he wasn't in the office, um, we weren't aware that he was putting in the number of hours that he was putting in and that it was under the amount of pressure that he was. And that hit us like a steam train, really, because we realized then that, you know, we, we're not supporting this guy. We, we need to intervene. We need to, we need to back him with our client and we need to contact our client and tell them that they've got to, revise their program and their expectations and you know sure enough giving him that support and and, and getting on board um we sorted the problem out in, in the matter of a few days and uh, fortunately he's still with us now and you know he made the point himself that had we been in the office we would have seen him under pressure we would have seen him struggling and we would have known he was in early infection late um so yeah it's it's very very difficult and it's um you know, trying to make sure that you've got that contact with your staff and your team uh, and making sure that they feel just as supported as, as they would if you, you saw them every day. Yeah, and even though, of course, it is difficult to kind of keep tabs on your staff when you are sort of deployed remotely, especially, do you think that sort of the fact that the pandemic has shone a light on mental health and removed the stigma and that we're talking about it a lot more, do you think that that is a positive going forward in the workplace and that we're now sort of more aware about you know, the importance of safeguarding mental health at work, both in terms of our own and also that of our colleagues as well? Yes. Um, I mean, mental health, obviously, uh, you know, it's a big issue and it is something that's talked about, um, you know, a lot more these days. Um, I am a little bit, I'm going to say, old school on this, Scott. I mean, you know, from, from my perspective, I think you've got to find a balance. Um I think, you know, ultimately people have had to live with, with a certain amount of pressure and a certain amount of responsibility, um, you know, since, since since the day that time began. So I do think, um, you know, that it, we, we want our staff to be resilient and, and you know, Britain as a country is renowned for having the old-fashioned stiff upper lip, um, you know. So I, I think at times um, mental health, 
um, you know, it, it is an issue for your staff and, and our staff welfare is incredibly important to us. Um, but equally, I think at times it can feel like um, work is fitting around life rather than life is fitting around work. Um, and that's been a big change and something that, you know, again, I think there's got to be a balance there. It's got to be right for both the employer because we need sustainable businesses and we need sustainable teams but it's also got to be right for the individuals so you know um we've got a lot of staff that have to commute um long distances to get to work and those are the kind of guys and and, and people within our teams that have benefited greatly from remote working and being able to you know maybe have time with their families that they wouldn't have had previously prior to covid so i do think there's got to be a balance i think you know like everything it's important that mental health um, is talked about and that people understand the support mechanisms that are out there. But I think at times it, it can be a word and a term that's used a little bit too much. You know, it's okay to be under pressure or to, um, you know, to, 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 to maybe um, have responsibilities that, that take you out of your comfort zone, you know. Um, so as I say, it's about striking a balance with all these things. Yeah, of course, it's about your resilience, it's about how you respond to that, isn't it? It's certainly um, incredibly important, and I, so I, do, um, I do agree with that. Um, obviously, talking about kind of the uh, the workforce um, side of things as well, I think it, we should probably touch on sort of one of the negative sides of COVID, and it's a well-documented truth as well that it has kind of exacerbated the existing skills gap within the sector because we have had a little bit of an exodus of talent sort of moving back to sort of Europe that had come over into uh, to this country, and I suppose the double-pronged impact of Brexit as well has also had a uh, real say in that. So would you say overall that the um, that the pandemic really has kind of, even though there have been some positive aspects, actually been of real detriment to sort of the construction industry by and large? I think it's been an incredibly challenging um, time and something that's going to take a long time to recover from. Um, I think a lot of people have made quite, quite big decisions. Um, I know of people that have sold cars because they didn't feel they needed a car anymore. You know, um, we we find it difficult getting our staff back to come back into the office, you know, so people have, you know, have said, well, I have to do the school run now or, you know, we've got a pet dog. Um, all these crazy things that two years ago they wouldn't have dreamt of making, um, you know, an, an issue of that now all of a sudden become majorly important. And it feels to me like, you know, a lot of people, because the pandemic lasted so long, people started to think this is the way that life is always going to be. Mm. And obviously it's not. The, 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 you know, some of those changes that were made were short-term changes because we were, you know, effectively forced into into locking down and not being able to go out and live our lives the way that we became accustomed to. And I, I think a lot of people have, have had these sort of almost mini epiphanies where they've gone, I don't want to spend 12, 14, 16 hours a week in the car um, I don't want to be commuting in and out of the city centre and, you know, so on and so forth. And, and I think, again, that's been quite restricting and, and a little bit difficult. We've got people that are in, um, uh, are actually applying to come and work for our business because we offer remote working, you know. And um, while we, we've seen that as an advantage at times and we've managed to recruit people from other geographical locations that prior to COVID we wouldn't have been able to, but because they've only got to attend the office one day a week or two days a fortnight, um, they're able to, to actually live and, and work in, for example, somewhere that's maybe a two or two and a half hour drive away. So 
it's definitely created some opportunities for us as a business. But I think, unfortunately, um, a lot of people are focusing a lot more now they've had a lot of time at home through the various lockdowns. People have placed far more emphasis on that work-life balance. And mm. unfortunately, I think at times it's too much focused on life and not enough on work. And I say that as an employer myself and someone that works very hard. Um, you know, it, it concerns me a little bit that maybe people's work ethic or their or their motivation to work isn't where it was maybe two, three years ago. And I think that's a real challenge. And, and um, as someone that works in the construction industry every day, um, one of the, the, the genuine challenges that we've got is it can be a very inspiring place to work the construction industry in terms of designing and working on projects and, and buildings that are very exciting projects to be a part of. But equally, it's a very, very difficult, very stressful and very dysfunctional industry. And, and I think a lot of people, rightly so, have decided that enough's enough and they're going to go off and do something else that, that, that gives them maybe something that's more in tune with, with what they think is um, is how they, they balance their work and life um, better, you know, post-COVID. Yeah, and I think that kind of change in perspective and changing what people want. I mean, it's been a big driver of this sort of great skills resignation, hasn't it, that we've seen over the uh, the last uh, year or so. And it's it's a, it's a challenge for businesses, isn't it, dealing with that exodus of talent in what is a very, very difficult recruitment environment right now. And then, of course, business has to weigh up, well, how do we not just recruit, but how do we retain? How do we stop people from leaving? And Obviously, I suppose salary incentives um, are, are one thing, so that pushes costs for the business up. So it is a challenge for uh, for business leaders um, dealing with uh, this, isn't it? Very challenging. Um, two things on that, really. What I mean, one is that young people they want to progress and they want to move forward a lot quicker these days. You know, they 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 their patience for things. You know. Is very is very low. They they want to move forward and they and they want to progress very very quickly. Um, some some of that is obviously led by social media and and the way that we live our lives these days. You know, everyone wants everything yesterday, um, and that's a real challenge. And I think the other thing is as well, we've learned this along the way. Communicating to young people is very very difficult, particularly if you are of an age. I'm forty three now. I uh, don't feel like I'm particularly old, but, but I know that, you know, young people, the young people that we communicate with on, on the training side, a lot of them don't want telephone calls and face-to-face -face interaction. They like to do it remotely. They like messages, WhatsApp, text messages and things like that, where five, ten years ago, if we called a candidate and they didn't ring back, you'd, you'd red flag them because, you know, they didn't return a call or they didn't answer the phone. What we realized quite quickly was that if you messaged that same young person, they messaged straight back. Um, and you, you see it every day in day-to-day -day life when you walk into places like McDonald's now. They've got the touchscreen um, points. And, and I think if you actually stand and watch, most of the younger generation go straight to the touchscreen and they're happy to order their food that way. But maybe the older generation you see still walk into the counter to talk to someone and to, to order their food because they see the touchscreen as an inconvenience or a bit of a faff. Mm. So that, that's the difference, really. And, and I think yeah, what you have to do is try and understand and, and again, appreciate the way that people um, you know, want to be treated. I, I remember a lasting statement. The old, the old statement used to be, treat people how you want to be treated yourself. And, and actually, 
that's wrong. What you've got to do is treat people how they want to be treated. And, and that can be, you know, a whole host of different things from the way that you communicate to them, to the way that you manage them, and uh, to the way that you, you know, you, you may allow them remote working or, or office based working. You know, some people want different things. It is, and it's a hugely fascinating point that you make there, uh, treating people how they want to be treated rather than that old adage, of course. And obviously CADCO um, is very much at the uh, the heart of that in engaging with young people and educating young people. Um, so obviously when it comes to addressing this quite major challenge, um, what are some of the kind of main strategies, if you will, to kind of reach out and engage with the young people that you're sort of deploying right now? I think the big one is um, having other young people communicate to them so we've got a really fantastic marketing apprentice um called george that does a lot of our social media campaigns um we're also trying to talk to some of our previous students about potentially coming in and delivering small sections of our curriculum so you know cpd is a a really uh, good way of of doing small really interesting um uh, let's say workshops on different things that might be beneficial to our students and i think you know, it's incredibly difficult. I think what one of the genuine challenges around education is that the salary for teaching is considerably lower than the salary for doing the job, um, particularly in our industry. So, you know, teaching structural engineering or digital skills in a classroom is remunerated far lower than than doing that than doing that job in the in the industry, and that's a real challenge because. How do we get the best people from our industry into the classrooms, inspiring the next generation of the people that are going to come into our industry? Uh, and what typically happens is you end up where your classrooms, um, your teachers and the people that are delivering these curriculums tend to be at the tail end of their careers, um, maybe on the, on, on, on the road to, 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 to retirement, you know, and maybe in semi-retirement. And that's a genuine um, challenge from what I see because young people relate better to other young people and and i think you know that uh, that is definitely for me um something that i think we need to look at uh, you know how do we attract and entice young people back into the classroom to go on and inspire other young people to come in and and have their careers so so i think there's um i think there's a huge opportunity certainly in our sector within construction there's some really exciting construction technology coming into the industry and i think we've got a massive opportunity engaging young people with some of the, the, the virtual reality and augmented reality. I, I think there's a lot of, let's say, cross-pollination that could be done from, mm. say, the gaming industry. You know, a, a lot of the young people that come onto our schemes are used to playing on things like Minecraft and, you know, online gaming where they might be, be playing against guys from all over the world and they're talking. You know, Minecraft's a great example. My youngest daughter, who's 11 now, She's regularly building things in, you know, in this virtual world, working with other kids across the, the, the globe that happen to be in the same world at the same time, and and they're, and, and they're constructing things, you know, and and that is is very similar to, to to what we need to come into the industry, and it's really important that those kids, as they transition through school, understand that there are opportunities that's not a vet or a policeman or a fireman or a doctor or a nurse, you know. That these other exciting careers and these other things that you can do with your life that might be really appealing to someone that maybe enjoys gaming and, and spends a lot of time you know, on, on games like Minecraft. Yeah, it's extremely exciting, isn't it, the innovations in the industry that could make it easier for firms to reach out to younger people. And 
as you yourselves are sort of putting yourselves at the forefront of uh, that mission to kind of bring more people into the uh, industry and engage young people better. Um, if we were to say you look ahead at the uh, the next 12 months coming up, Daniel, just before we wrap up on the show today, um, what is it that you're really sort of hoping to sort of achieve in the next 12 months initially and then for the longer term in pursuit of your aims? Um, I think we'd, we'd like to see things stabilised a little bit. I mean, obviously, the COVID pandemic has, has, has made things incredibly difficult over the last couple of years. And obviously, we've now got the, the conflict with, with Russia at the moment, which is having a not only an impact on everybody in terms of, you know, how you feel about, you know, the world, but, but also, you know, it's having an impact on the economy and, and the way that, that, that things work. So it would certainly be nice to start to, to try and stabilise things and, and start to put processes in place that, you know, that, that are, uh, let's say, medium and long-term strategies. Uh, I think over the last couple of years, it's been very difficult to, to, to sit and, you know, maybe write a five-year plan for your business because we don't know what's happening next week, never mind um, next year. So um, it's been a very uncertain time, um, and, and I hope that things do start to stabilise and that we can continue to, to hopefully build the economy up um, and, and we can continue to, to try and um, attract some people into our industry um, and make the changes that the construction industry desperately needs, which is, is to improve the culture that exists within it. And, and I think if we can get these young people into the industry, the changes that the industry needs will become a generational change. They, they will happen anyway, because those young people are used to, to driving technology and, and, and innovation in a way that maybe um, older people and, and the older generation maybe aren't so uh, so open to. Exactly right. And fingers crossed that, you know, executing that mission does eventually prove successful no matter how long it takes, because these are real, real issues that need to be addressed in the uh, in the sector. And you do make a very valid point as well that that ability to kind of long term plan has almost been stripped away from us, hasn't it, um, by the pandemic, by current um, events. So that does make it all the, uh, the more difficult for businesses to really act on that in the long run. But as we start to maybe see the mist clear a little bit and sort of understand exactly what shape the landscape is taking in the sector going forward, I think it would be fantastic, uh, Dan, to actually uh, sort of reassess this in future and sort of see how things are getting on within the business and sort of look at the wider picture in the industry um, as well, because it's really in a constant state of flux at the moment. Absolutely. It certainly is. And uh, Daniel, thank you ever so much um, again for taking the time to uh, join us on the uh, the programme today. It's been an immense pleasure having you join us on the podcast. And by all means, do take care and stay safe with all still going on in the world as well. No problem at all. Thanks for having me, Scott. It was an immense pleasure welcoming Daniel Leach, CEO of Technical Design Services Group, onto today's programme. And I do hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview today. Um, to anybody listening in who might own their own business or organisation which you might feel has its own tale of success and innovation to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then by all means, we do want to hear from you too. So why not apply to be on the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until next time, to all of our regular listeners, you've been listening to the Leaders' Council podcast with your host, Scott Challoner. Do take care and goodbye.